Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. AI, machine learning, I know, I know, give it a rest, Crosby. Sorry, we can't. There's just too much freaking potential in it. So there's value in spotlighting use cases that show the potential for making your jobs easier and your performance better. One of those is how to make your investments in paid and organic search more predictive and strategic through better data and new metrics. Aisha Khan, VP of Strategy and Insights at Momentum Commerce, joins Lauren Levack and me to share the crystal ball for Amazon search that they have been building at Momentum and how this kind of data could take budgeting, measurement, and performance in search to a whole nother level. Aisha, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite podcasts to be on. You guys do so much great work. I'm honored to be here. Oh my gosh, check is in the mail. Uh, well, Venmo, I'll Venmo you. Okay, <laughs> so we've we've talked a lot on this podcast about measuring the success of the digital shelf, but it's it's never easy, and it's always a moving target. You know, the right metrics that matter for your business. How is it performing? How are your competitors doing? Like, there's a lot that goes on into making sort of make better strategic decisions. You know, one step better, sort of the holy grail, would be to have data that actually helps you predict how things might perform, so you can align your spending and investments in anticipation of where your opportunities are. And we hear that you and Momentum Con Commerce might have some sort of magic crystal ball to help people do that. So uh, um, tell us, is it true? We, what have you got? We are working on it. It is, um, it is a really exciting time, I think, to be in this industry. The amount of data that's now available via APIs, scraping, and like putting it all together is enormous. It creates challenges, but with the right people, the right process, and the right tech, there's obviously a ton of opportunity that also arises with all this data. Um, and so we're doing that at Momentum Commerce, which is really exciting. We launched our SaaS tool, our digital shelf insights platform called Velocity by Momentum Commerce just last week. So if you haven't checked it out, please do so on our website, MomentumCommerce.com. But what we've done is over the last two, a little over two years now, almost two and a half years, we've built one of the largest data lakes of Amazon US data to exist, period. So it has 1.5 trillion rows of data. We update it every day. Um, over a million key of the top keywords on Amazon, we ingest data for 120 million products a day, 60 data points per product we ingest. So you can imagine our AWS bills are pretty high. Oh my God, I was <laughs> just thinking Our bills that. are pretty big, but that's because we, um, we really believe in the future of data and the value of this data over time will just become exponential. And so what we've done is we've built a product and all of our products really on top of this data lake. And so similar to a lot of great digital shelf tools out there, we can tell you current state and every month you can look and you can track your share of voice and your price and your reviews and your competitive set and like all that analysis, which is super valuable, right? For budget setting and promotional planning and all the usual kind of tactics that take to build a successful plan on Amazon. I think where the future is going and why I love my role at Momentum Commerce and what I think we're, do, we're able to do differently is while most tools have a lot of breadth, 
right? They can cover multiple geographies and multiple retailers, which today is not in our remit. We go deep into Amazon. And so what that, that lets our data scientists do it get, it, to get really familiar with our data and build predictive use cases, particularly for Amazon, which is really cool and exciting. And so we'll talk a little bit about exactly what those metrics are. But for the first time, there are in-platform metrics that we have. So if you subscribe to our tool in platform today, there are even predictive metrics in there. So at a product level, we have some data that you can see that'll actually predict success on Amazon. And we've also invested in managed service on our platform. So we have people and custom ad hoc, ad hoc projects we can do for you to also predict things like what search budgets you need next year to meet your ambitious goals, which is, as you can imagine, very, very hot topic and of high interest, especially with our larger brands. So I do think, Peter the industry is moving to a place where we need to be a little more forward-looking and really apply data science and machine learning to do that. I feel like that'll be the competitive edge for any brand, right? Because the way that budgets are built today is like one time during the year for the rest of the year, and then you don't necessarily assess it, and then things change in the middle of the year. So anyway, you know this just as well as I do. Any way that you can predict that, I think will be such a competitive edge for, for brands in the future. Yeah, totally. Math. Like at the end of the day, it comes down to math, like the amount of like math, like skills that I've had to like brush up on um, in this role has really, honestly, it's just like make me come alive a little bit in just terms of being stimulated and like seeing what's next and where the industry could go. So really well, excited to talk more about it. And also, Aisha, you like, you've sat in the seat. You've, you've run you know, digitally native brands. You, you know, you have a background in it and I can imagine Part of it for you is that this is what you wish you had, I'm guessing, like, because you know, so you understand where our listeners are and the pressures that they're under and the amount of spend, particularly as retail media really comes to life. There's a lot that's being committed there. I just saw a report that by, I think it's 2025 that um, retail media will outpace TV spending. Yeah. Like it's becoming such a tremendous area of investment and having this kind of predictive capability, I would think is something that you would have wanted and would want today if you were in that seat. Everything that we build here is with that in mind. Like if it's not useful, because that's the other thing is when you have really smart people looking at data, sometimes they can go in all different directions. Literally there's endless ways you can apply the data and build the data. But I think what's great is we have such a balance of operators with engineers and data scientists. So we're able to stop and say, hey, guys, actually, this isn't that useful or valuable. It's really cool that we can do that, but that's not going to help. Like, let's actually see if we can apply this towards something that's a real pain point, like budget allocation. And let's go down that avenue. And then we have really smart people to kind of chase that problem, that business problem, and come up with data solutions for it. And so that's what we've done. And so one of the biggest pain points I remember that we had was we were always tin cupping for budget. And we were always like, Hey, please, like we need, we need to win here. We're, we don't have the right share of voice to meet our goals. And like, we just have to like beg, borrow and plead for dollars. And here you are where you can actually use math and data science to say, Hey, this is what we need. And what's also nice is you also don't want too much money. 
in retail media either. Like I've learned so much, especially in this role where Momentum Commerce and P&G works together on brands like Therabody, where we're able to see their total dollars. So we actually work across their brand dollars, their influencer, all the way down to retail media and Amazon search. And we're able to say, actually, like, can you actually go invest in a paid social campaign so we can get more branded search on Amazon and go do something cool with influencer or a Thursday night football campaign to actually drive branded demand because that's what's going to make us more profitable on Amazon. That's also the other conversation. It's not always about getting the most amount of dollars. It's getting that right amount of dollars. And that's, I think, where we're heading because I also think there can also, you know, if you over allocate spend, all of a sudden you're losing, especially for enterprise, like legacy enterprise brands, you're losing the magic of your brand equity, which I'm learning is so important for profitability on Amazon. I feel like we could keep talking about this for so long, but without further ado, let's dig into some of the metrics that are super, yeah. super exciting. So uh, some of the predictive data points you were talking about, one of them is durable dominance. So can you tell us what that means and why brands should look at that and how it can help them? Absolutely. So this is a, a phrase and an index that we've coined at Momentum Commerce. And essentially, it sounds like exactly the name, durable dominance. It is a predictive index at the product level that will tell you if your ASIN has what it takes to keep its bestseller rank over time. So is it durable? That, um, is its dominance durable? And so what that does is, and how we even came about it is, we work with a lot of brands that have large portfolios, very large assortment, hundreds of thousands of ASINs, 10,000 ASINs, like for better or worse, we tend to take, we tend to take large portfolio brands because you need a lot of data and tech to be successful in Amazon. And those are the brands that really flock to us. And so what, um, what we did is we took a set of ASINs that kept its bestseller rank over time. And then we took another set of ASINs that didn't keep its bestseller rank over time and analyzed and tagged over 50 features per product. So think things like price, reviews, what brand it was a part of, its category, subcategory, whether it was in stock a lot, everything, like just tagged a bunch of features and then analyzed those features to then say, which one of those features and in what order of importance of those, of those features were the best predictor of success for the ones that kept their bestseller rank. And so we found some pretty interesting insights where actually the power of your, it's not all about reviews and having a low price, all those, although as you can imagine, those were near the top. There was actually a lot of interesting results around like even the brand you're a part of and the strength of the overall brand on Amazon which is why tracking your branded search demand on Amazon is becoming more and more important because it's actually a predictor of how well you can keep your bestseller rank over time. So along with some of the usual suspects, we had these really interesting other features kind of come to the top. Um, content, how many images you have on your PDP. And so what we've done is we've then by subcategory, we customize what features are important. And now we're able to predict whether um, every month that will change, but we're able to predict actually whether an ASIN will keep its bestseller rank over time. And that's actually in platform. So you'll see your whole portfolio. You can search by ASIN. And on a scale of one to five, not only will you see your score, but you'll actually see where the problem is. 
So we'll actually tell you, hey, out of the five things that matter most, which is your relative price, your relative reviews, your page share of voice, and like the top five aspects of durable dominance, we'll actually tell you at the submetric level how you're doing. So you can actually see, okay, why am I getting a score of three out of five? Oh, for this product, it's page share of voice, but for this other product, my price is just way too high. And, so I know, and, okay, let me promote this item or put more ad spending on the other one. And and Aisha, in, in your in your experience, when you've had clients that have been using this durable dominance metric, how long does it take for, okay, I see this report, it tells me to go do something, I go do something. You know, what's the sort of span of the test to see if you're moving that, you know, those those metrics like yeah can you see results in is it three months is it one month is it you know or is that even a good question yeah no i think it's a good question and i think out of the five submetrics that show up it just depends which one's the problem like yeah. we do have reviews for example as one of the submetrics that's probably not one you're going to solve for in in a month right but the whole point is it tells you, hey, this might be something where if reviews is the only reason that you're not durably dominant, you should advertise this ASIN so you can generate more of those reviews to build that moat because you've got everything else going for you for this product. So that I would say from an advertising perspective for you know, any item, it usually takes around two months to really get back, like get on track. So I would say this isn't something where you can kind of fix your durable dominance in 30 days, but within 60 to 90 days, definitely you can make an impact on your durable dominance. It just, again, it depends on the size of the prize and how big the ASIN is versus small, but, and the subcategory, if it's a larger subcategory, obviously it takes more time to make an impact versus others. Um, so yeah, a typical consulting answer. It depends. <laughs> and we'll say for our clients, the ones that we work on and actually do their Amazon search, we can usually make an impact within 60 to 90 days. And were you surprised about the brand element that came up with durable dominance? And the reason why that kind of perked my ears up a bit was I know that Amazon has like the brand pages and for a while they were really big. And then they were like, mm, they're not really important. They don't drive a lot of value. And then they have the, like for, above the enhanced content, there's now like the uh, from the brand piece. So they're like really trying to move towards that when previously I feel like brand wasn't as important on Amazon. So have you seen that shift lately? 100%. And I actually completely agree with you, Lauren. I've, I, for a long time, I was very much like Amazon is a product platform. It doesn't right. matter what your brand is. If you have the right price, it doesn't matter. And I actually think what's happened is I think that was true for a while, but then what happened is you had all these proliferation of like knockoff brands, low quality brands, and it's just become such a mess a little bit that it's gone back to quality. And so it's actually benefited brands to have this proliferation because now in the long term, I do think consumers care. And especially when every dollar matters, right? There's inflation globally across the board. Like people are still spending, but I think people want to spend for items that are going to last. So no longer is it like, oh, I'm just going to buy the $20 Amazon dupe to something that's like right 50 or hundred dollars because people are realizing, oh my God, it's going to break. Yeah. I'm going to spend <laughs> on this one. <laughs> I mean, we saw that so clearly in, uh, in Salsify's consumer research for this past year, where product quality just rose to the top of the consideration thing, because people are being much more careful about how they're, how they're spending their money. And how long they want it to last because the the 
for a bunch of reasons, including sustainability, like sort of have living in this disposable world where, oh, if they send it, it's no good and I'll just throw it away or whatever. Uh, I, I think that mindset is changing amongst, you know, obviously the people are just spending more carefully these days, I feel like. Agreed. Cool. All right, mm-hmm. let's move on. Add density by subcategory. You are going to have to explain this one to me. <laughs> Why yeah. is that important? Um, This is one of my favorite metrics and it's my favorite because it's the most scary um, and it drives the, it drives change in a very short amount of time. And anything that can do that using data is my favorite thing Um, versus again, the begging and pleading and lots of slides and like lots of tough conversations with leadership. Like this is a metric that is your aha metric. Um, And what it is, is because of the data that we're able to pull in, we're able to see um, by subcategory for all the keywords and search results pages within that are relevant for that category, we're able to see all the keywords, but also what, um, uh, what percentage of real estate on page one are becoming sponsored and how that changes over time. So a year over year, we can see, for example, and there's some interesting insights here, is for most categories, as you can imagine, ad density is going up. So what that means is last year, about 35% of real estate on page one, this is like May, this is for, sorry, April metrics. Um, so April 2022, about 35% of real estate on average on Amazon, when you searched any keyword, was sponsored whether that's branded search or in the sponsor search results or video search, like all of that. Cool. This year on average, it's over 50%. Oh my gosh. Wow. And obviously that varies by subcategory, how aggressive that push has been. Um, but understanding that and those, that exact kind of change for your subcategory will give you an understanding of how much your, your ad budgets need to go up to even maintain the same place and the same real estate on the PDP that you were last year, if you had that organic placement, some some keywords, organic placement isn't even top of fold, which is scary. Like you just get there and nothing on top of the fold is free. Like it's all sponsored, which is again, maybe in the future will change even how people shop on Amazon. Will people just start to get wary of it? Will people not care? Will people care and kind of scroll down? Who knows? But it's scary to to understand that metric. There's few categories where we've seen um, not like the change be minimal. I think one of those change, for example, is like some subcategories in beauty where it has been up in the 40s and now it's like in the low 50s to upper 40s. So there's some subcategories like sports and outdoors one that we saw the biggest jump. So I think Amazon's just taking a look at this and being more strategic about getting all subcategories up into the 40s and then sub some subcategories up into the 50s. And so we'll see where that stops. Will it stop? We haven't seen it stopping so far. My hope is that it starts the plateau. But again, our data can tell you where that might be happening or where Amazon's just continuing to accelerate. Well, that's really scary. Go ahead, Lauren. Sorry. I was just going to say that's really scary to me because I feel like the gold standard of measuring search is like beyond the top 10 spots on the first page of Amazon. Like that is not the case anymore. Right. So 
that means you need to not only change how you look at retail media, like you said, you need to change how you look at organic search. You need to change change your success metrics, which I think are built into how people think today around, hey, this is my scorecard. This is how I'm looking at search. This is what I'm calling success, but that's not the case anymore. So this is really going to change just how brands are thinking about it in general. 100%. So I'm interested because, Lauren, to that point, um, and maybe this is just me, so I'm not quoting data here. That's that's your job, Aisha. But I tend to go to Amazon and even to Google search results, and I scroll past the sponsored results because I want to see what's showing up naturally. So I wonder, A, I don't know how we, I mean, maybe there's data on how that works. But what I'm thinking is, I don't know if it changes the metrics we look at completely like that, because you still... Uh, I wonder if we know how or is organics, it's not like organics dropping off the face of the earth, right? So it's people are finding their way to those things. I would just wonder if it's just that's diminished and you need to understand the balance. And I, I don't know, I'm this way. Anyway, I was just thinking about my own behavior, but part of that is just, I get angry that the, the first, you know, the full above the fold of the search results or ads drives me freaking Crazy. I, I've been reading a book by Jason Del Rey, which is about to come out called uh, Winners Sell All, which is just the story of Amazon versus Walmart competition. And Jason Del Rey was at Recode and, and a great journalist, really fascinating book. But he actually he he used a name for what it's like now to shop on Walmart and Amazon and particularly Amazon. He, he calls it a bazaar like B-A-Z-A-A-R, like that sort of like you go in and there's just all this wildness going on around you and you, and, and it's, it's overwhelming. That's how I think of what it is like now. And I hope, like you said, Aisha, that that starts to plateau a little bit and get to a place where the experience is, is more consumer focused than, than that. But, but I Peter, know. I wonder, because we're in the space, right? Like, yeah. I wonder if I pulled someone off the street and showed them an Amazon page, would they know? I always think that too. Like, yes, oh, they can read that it's sponsored, but like, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, that's, oh, that's like an paid ad? for? <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, I, yeah. we're in industry. So like, we look at it that way. But, and I don't know how you measure this, but like, do people look at it that way? I don't know, Aisha, if you, if you have any data on that. Yeah, but. come on, Aisha. Give us the answer. We do. Yes. Oh, amazing. Come to us. Come to us. We're to commerce. We will help you out. But no, I think even Amazon themselves, like it are, is releasing more click share data at the keyword level. So you can actually see like click share of the first product, second product, and third product, at least like they just share those metrics. And, you know, there's other external tools that have been trying to do this for a while, like the Jungle Scouts and Helium Tens of the world. The fact that it's coming directly from Amazon now is actually really interesting, even though it's somewhat limited. But I think we have to follow the data, right? On ClickShare and still tells us to this day that the paid, the first, you know, above the fold has more than 50% of the clicks and 50% of the conversion. Okay, okay. That is still so powerful. So to your point, whether it's paid or organic, that may have some implications, um, but you know we've, we've just kind of got to follow the data. That mm-hmm. said, I do similarly do something, Peter, where I validate some of the search results now with organic. Like I'll say, oh, this guy's like advertising; it must be fake. But if I scroll down and also see them in organic, yeah. it almost makes me want to double down on that product because I'm like, oh, they're in advertising and they've got organic rank; they must be the best. I'm going to buy them. So I wonder if it's almost like a becoming a validation metric organic. We'll see. 
that's a really interesting point. And I was talking about this with someone the other day. Does it make sense to have a retail media or like a sponsored placement if you're number one in organic search? Is that the right investment for your dollars since you're already winning on organic search? Could you use that in a different way to supplement potentially another brand or to your point, build more brands for other products in your product line? I, that's a debate that I've had a conversation with a couple of people recently about. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, this is like, I um, I talk about like my balloon methodology, which is like, I think having always on, if you have top organic placement, having an always on paid is probably not the best use of dollars. But what happens if you don't is you'll see your organic ranks start to come down like a balloon. And then you need that paid placement to almost like get you back to the top. And then it almost becomes this like, so instead of fire hosing dollars at all times, always on, being an organic and being in paid, the best use of dollars and the optimal ROI you get is by taking dollars out and like plussing it up. And like, whether that be every month you do that or every other month, just like a slow in and out strategy is actually how you can like keep your balloon up in the air without it, all It that also money. reminds me of when I went scuba diving in <laughs> Australia and you have to reach that moment where your breath is what raises you up and then you might settle down. And so, you know, you exactly. can keep living in an underwater environment as well. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren, go ahead. Next question. No, I, <laughs> Thank I you. think that was great. <laughs> I was thinking of the movie Up as you were talking about. <laughs> Scuba diving also works. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we were talking about search. So it's a perfect transition. So one of the other metrics you were mentioning, share of brands search by subcategory. So can you dive into that one as well? Yes. I think this is one where like the inner like brand marketer CMO comes out where like, I think there's a lot of value to tracking your share of branded search on Amazon. And so what this is, is again, since we can see all the data for keywords within a subcategory that are relevant, what we can also do is we have automated ways to tag whether those keywords have a brand name in them or not a brand name in them. Just through our data set, since we have all the brands on Amazon, we're able to kind of just see, okay, does it have any variation of a brand name in this keyword, whether it's in the front of the keyword or back of the keyword? And then so what we're able to do is at the subcategory level in platform tell you what percent of all keywords within a subcategory are branded versus non-branded. So as you can imagine, like baby and beauty have high branded search. Other categories like sports and outdoor and electronics have lower branded search. And so you're able to understand what by subcategory and sub-subcategory where branded search matters. And we also have, um, as part of our offering, we also have a raw data feed version of our platform. So like, let's say you don't want to use our UI or you're an enterprise and you have a big data lake, you can plug all the metrics that are in our UI and just feed them into your data lake. And if you're a client that does that, we're able to actually pass you back for each of your brands within all the branded search within your subcategories, what percent are your brands? So you're able to track your particular brand share branded search. And that's a cool metric, not just for Amazon sales, but even for just general brand health. So like almost like a social listening, like type metric of like, how many mentions am I getting? It's like, how many people are going to Amazon and looking for me? By the way, even if you don't sell on Amazon, this is a cool metric to look at. We offer a general kind of like free version of this on our website. So we actually have a way for any brand. You can go in our tool, our Amazon um, uh, search index tool and search your brand name and just see over time how you're trending, which is really cool. It won't tell you your share of branded search within your subcategory, but just overall volume trends, 
which is really interesting. So again, in this battle for profitability and this battle for the fact that you've now 55% ad density in some subcategories, this is where I think starting to convert on branded search is really important. And understanding how much dollars to put towards defending brand search, if that's the strategy versus unbranded is really key. So I think that's a really powerful metric. And a lot of our enterprise brands, again, like legacy brands are starting to pull in that data to measure, um, um, even as like an overall marketing metric. So not just the Amazon team is measuring it, but even like the brand global brand teams are measuring it. So that's really exciting. There's a conversation I had the other day about branded search and, and someone brought up spelling of brands. Uh, I was having a conversation with Gregor from DCG and he was saying that a lot of people spell things like spaghetti wrong or they spell like really complicated brand names wrong. And looking at an insight like this, you could actually see are people spelling your brand wrong? Are they searching in the wrong way? How should you pivot your strategy on the back end to also have the misspelling of your brand appear? So I, I'm bringing that up because I thought that was kind of a low hanging fruit piece for a lot of brands that might have a hard to spell name or one that doesn't sound like the way it spells where they can actually search for something like this to understand what are their consumers searching for and are you missing people because they're not spelling it correctly. So I was just curious, it's a very random thing, but if you've seen anything like that or anything similar from a search perspective. A, a thousand percent. Like um, if obviously on our free tool, like our branded search index is probably going to pull the like the correct brand spelling for the most part and maybe some basic misspelling variations. But again, for our clients, one of the first things we do is we to so that the data in platform is accurate is we go through and we work with them to do like, what are all the misspellings that are coming up? Like, and we'll actually look at the Amazon, um, Amazon data also to say, how did people get to your page to convert? Because you can actually see all the misspellings in that data and then use that to track your branded search correctly. So it's, yeah, it's one of the, it, I remember in our onboarding process, I'm like, why am I? doing this, like spelling all these brand names wrong on purpose. And they're like, oh, it's so we can track this correctly. Because you don't go correct it, right? Like you have autocorrect on Word or Google Doc, but on Amazon search, it corrects for you and you don't go back and change it. So you're going totally. to continue to misspell it. So I just thought it was an interesting one because it's a really low hanging fruit piece for, for anyone who's thinking about search. So Agreed. my random moment other than scuba diving. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> no, so I should, uh, to close out, you know, you mentioned earlier the, the three-legged stool of people process technology. Uh, I can imagine this new class of data, this sort of crystal ball type stuff must over time change the way your, your client's process and think about this data and what they do with it and how they even budget. And can you, can you give us some examples of what, how you've seen organizations adjust? Because we really are entering a new era where machine learning and AI is just going to give us new opportunities for understanding um, that I don't think a lot of us or maybe I should just be, I'm not sure I could have imagined all the things you're talking about. And, and I know you and your chief data scientist are like imagining this right now, like what else could we ask? Um, which is very exciting. So it's going to be a continually changing field. How do organizations need to shift to be able to take advantage of, of crystal ballness? It's a horrible term, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really, really good question. I think this is a perfect way to kind of end the conversation today. And it's, you know, 
in my seat, another, you know, change management in your seats too. And I think why you do this is it's amazing to see when you have those small wins, when you're able to make those changes as the industry moves forward and being a part of that is again, like a huge honor to sit in that type of seat. So kudos to you guys again, for all the great work that you guys are doing in my seat. What I see across so many different enterprise and brands we speak to is a huge variety of exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's trust in the measurement analytics team. And there's some enterprises that you need to have like six conversations because everyone wants to be brought along. And that's not a bad thing in terms of like how, what's the methodology for this durable dominance? What are the exact features that you looked at? How do you think about your Bayesian, you know, what kind of Bayesian math are you using to do predictive AI modeling on, on the search budgets? Like super interesting conversations and they're the right ones to have. I think where where success will come is organizations at some point are just going to need to move quickly and have a small team of just trust czars of like, listen, if Lauren and Peter, let's say, are those people, it's like if Lauren and people vetted this and it's in our data lake and it shows up, it's going to be right and it's going to be accurate. And instead of being like, oh, well, it's wrong sometimes, it's not perfect, da, 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 or I don't know how they got here. Like, right. I think that is what's happening today. Again, it's not a bad thing, but it's like everyone wants to be brought along. At some point, there's going to be too many things to be brought along to, whether it be AI or ML or Metaverse or Amazon this and this new data cloud and this new clean room. Like, there's just so many things that are popping up. Like, there's no way for marketers now to become experts on everything. And that's scary. Um, again, with, even if you're a shopper marketing, like it's just scary when you're used to this model where there's a single team that kind of is like your control room. And when you have to now democratize that a little bit and bring others along and just trust others to move fast and to move quickly and bring competitive advantage into your org, it's just new. And so I do see it happening, which is exciting across the board. Again, some organizations are just further along than others and having these teams that are just empowered with, listen, here's your remit, here's your budget for data, bring in whatever you can, the tools, the tech, the data, vet them out on your own with a small team, bring them in, and then we'll have a large organization be able to apply them in custom ways to their teams. So it's really is like everything else, which is when you have something new coming in, wall it off a little bit, test and learn around it, get your wins, which gives everyone else the confidence and then you scale it. So it's like, oh, what's, you know, that's what you do when you do these It's no different. I agree. And it's, it's typical change management. It's just a little bit, um, it's just moving so quickly and it's very complex in terms of even the people who are able to vet this are a small group of people who, again, understand like data science and AI and like just it's so bringing even those people into an organization, which typically in CPG even might be new people who are engineers and technologists, like that's, that'll be really interesting to see how they're ingested into. Yeah, the I mean, industry. I was going to say for me, the Bayesian uh, is my favorite color of, of math metrics. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I made a face when you said that. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This tells me you've been drinking the Kool-Aid of Momentum Commerce just long enough to just start tossing off things like Bayesian. I don't even know how to spell it, but the color immediately came to my mind, which is (laughs) tells you everything you need to know about me. So um, 
Aisha, for people to get more information, because it's, to be honest, it's rare we have folks on the podcast where kind of, um, in order for people to kind of get exposed to what's really happening here, you really need to look at the product that you've got rather than, there, you know, maybe down the line, you might have some huge report that can talk about sort of all, because I, I, what I would like to do with this podcast is inspire people to think about one, you know, certainly look at what you've got at momentum.com. The, the velocity offering is right on the homepage. You can get right to it, but also start to think about whether they work with you or not, how do you want to challenge your internal teams and also whoever they're working with to like, this is how I want to operate coming up. How do I get there? So um, that's kind of what I would say is that a great next step for our listeners might just be to look at your offering, uh, read through you know the kinds of things that you're measuring today and get a sense of, wow, this is something I want to expect and I want to be able to, does that make sense as kind of a next step? Oh yes, absolutely. I think like, come, come speak to us at momentum. Like we'll make time for anyone. We get so excited about this. So even, even if you're curious and interested, that's okay. Like if something you may not have budget for today or hope is this is something that for tomorrow, it's an investment in tomorrow. So please come have a conversation with us. We'd be happy to, again, if you're just curious to learn more about it, or just get some more materials or slide decks to share with your leadership, just to educate them. We just want to be part of the education journey, just like digital shop Institute that may or may not constitute in clients or not, but that's okay. I think this is important enough and we want to be on the frontier of this um, that we're willing to have conversations. So thank you so much for um, that plug. And so momentumcommerce.com, you can sign up for a demo and reach out to us anytime. Thank you so much, Aisha, for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been awesome to speak to you about this. Thank you. It's always, it's always a pleasure to speak to you guys. I feel like we're able to have a conversation like amongst friends, these fireside chats. So I really appreciate being able to do that with you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Aisha for sharing the latest on predictive analytics and search. There will be more coming on this from the DSI in the months to come, so don't miss out. Become a member at digitalshelfinstitute.org. Thanks for being part of our community.